Welcome to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is your host, DPT Steph, your doctor of physical therapy, bringing you all things PT with an interdisciplinary approach so that you can be the best clinician that you want to be. Welcome to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is Stephanie, doctor of physical therapy, otherwise known as DPT Steph. On this episode, we'll be talking with Rena, also a doctor of physical therapy. And to get us started, Rena, why don't you give us a little history about your PT journey? Sure. So, hi, everybody. My name's Rena. I'm a doctor of physical therapy, strength and conditioning coach here in New York City. I started in PT, um, try to make it as short as possible, was an athlete my whole life, um, spent some time in PT. As I went through college, wanted to do something that had to do with sports, didn't really know much about athletic training back then, but kind of thinking back, I think that might have actually been a better path for me at this point, but that's okay. When I went to PT school, I was very interested in sports and ortho. I went to NYU, and as part of our curriculum, we were required to take the CSCS exam to become a certified strength and conditioning specialist. And that really catapulted my career into looking into do more sports and orthopedics. So once I graduated, I started working in an outpatient orthopedic clinic. I was also very involved in the CrossFit community. So I was working with a lot of weightlifting athletes, CrossFit athletes, eventually started my own practice, officially incorporated in 2017. My practice is called Match Fit Performance. My business partner, is Erwin Seguia, if anybody follows him on Instagram as well. So yeah, at this point, we've been incorporated and running for the past three years. And um, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit farther into the episode, but we have a kind of different business model and how we approach things and the systems in which we work with our clients. So I'm excited to talk about that. In a very short nutshell, that is <laughs> my PT career so far. <laughs> I love it. So you originally were more inclined to do like an outpatient ortho or like more sports PT kind of sense from the beginning of PT school, or did you feel like your clinicals prepared you for that? So I definitely went into school being pretty set on doing ortho and sports. Again, since my background is more in athletics, that's more of what I was looking at as I experienced a lot of different things. So one of my final rotations was in acute care, but also neuro. So I was in the neurosurge ICU at Mount Sinai, and it was just really awesome being able to see people from pre-surgery. I actually observed a surgery for one of the people that I evaluated in the ICU afterwards and get to see their whole path from pre-op to post-op and then to discharge. For a while, it was pretty interesting to me, but working with a lot more um, orthopedic cases and then one of my other final clinicals was in a pretty high-performance sports practice up in Connecticut and being able to see like, okay, this is how Uh, physical therapy could work in a more performance space. So it was definitely more of a gym setting with turf on the floor, squat racks, barbells, like all of that stuff. That was definitely way more up my alley. Again, at this point, I had been doing CrossFit for a couple years as well. So towards the end, that kind of solidified it. And around that time when I was graduating, CrossFit was definitely on the up and up, but so was Kelly Sturette. So He was the owner. I think they might have rebranded, but I think he founded Mobility Wad. 
So again, targeted towards that CrossFit weightlifting strength sport athlete and seeing how that idea had changed throughout the past couple years, especially people coming in injured, the doctor telling them they shouldn't be doing XYZ thing, but try physical therapy. They come in to see me. I'm actually able to get them back to doing CrossFit because as you know, trying to tell people to stop doing the things <laughs> that they enjoy doing is no easy feat. So, no. so that's where the idea of starting to build our own practice came into play there. And since I already had these ties to the CrossFit community, I wouldn't say it was seamless or that it was easy, but we definitely had a place to start, which was great. So that's kind of how you started with MatchFit Performance. What is from when it started to kind of what it is now, has it evolved at all? So it's, it's evolved a lot. So, so we, we started in two CrossFit gyms, which we are actually still partnered with today. And But how it has evolved is that we've gone from being primarily CrossFit, weightlifting, powerlifting specific to more athletic performance specific. So part of our services since we are both clinical specialists in sports, we have created a model where we can follow an athlete or a whole team from the field to strength and conditioning or performance training. If an athlete gets injured, they come to see us for rehab, and then we take them through their whole return to sport phase, and that's within a team environment. So we have a lot of touch points with the coaches, with management, with other practitioners that the players might be seeing outside of just working with us. So what I think is really cool about what we've created at MatchFit is this, again, all performance package so that teams who want to offer a really good experience to their athletes, we come up with a plan or some kind of performance package, you can say, and we do that on a contract basis. And then it can depend whether it's off season or in season, what the team has budget-wise, what they really want to present to their athletes. So we try to create a high-performance environment for athletes who may not otherwise get the access or resources without being in like an academy or a professional team. So that's, I think, as far as ways that we are different from some other practices, that's something different that I haven't necessarily seen in a lot of places. But it's been a really cool experience and the teams that we've been able to work with, it's just leveled up their caliber of athlete and the experience that they want to give to their athletes. Yeah, and that's incredible. And I like that you also touched upon, you work with whether it's management or the physicians or other components to the players, I would say like health or better well-being. So from that kind of standpoint, you touched a little bit on it, who you talk to. So more specifically, who is it that you interact with, I guess, the most when it comes to working with a player or a team as far as healthcare practitioners or any other management people from the actual team? Yeah, so directly within the team umbrella, our direct contact is usually with the coaches. And as you can imagine, with a lot of coaches, their focus is on creating a winning team, right? And that's through strategy, that's through playing, that's through helping the team gain chemistry together. And so our role in that is helping them understand, I feel like this is usually the case in like physical therapy in general, but is trying to help your people understand like what your role is. So we've had some 
I guess conflicts, like they're not, they're not huge conflicts or anything, but there, there's a misunderstanding typically, especially uh, when it comes to return to play. So when a player is returned to play, that doesn't necessarily mean 100% cleared to play an entire game at full capacity. Mm -hmm. So trying to help the coaches understand what that process looks like. It's not just, okay, this player gets injured. Now they have no pain. They can jump in and you'll expect them to be as good as they were before they got injured. Like we've had to do a lot of education, helping them understand, okay, at this point, really laying out that plan, what we expect at certain landmarks, whether it's time, whether it's things that the athlete is able to tolerate and how that intertwines with what the plans are for practice. Are they going to be available to play in the game? How many minutes? And I work, for example, in professional ultimate Frisbee. They usually go by points played. So how many points can we expect them to play? And so when you consider the different athletes position, are they specific to a position? Are they more of a hybrid player? Like what is their role on this team? Then we have to get into the nitty gritty, especially with the coaches and management too, because management is the one who's paying these players, but trying to help them understand and have realistic expectations of what they're going to get out of a player at a certain time. Obviously that changes depending on the point of the season. Is it a playoff game? Is it a championship game? You know, are they maybe at 80%, but is their 80% better than somebody else's hundred percent? Would it be more beneficial to the team to have them still play versus trying to have somebody who maybe their skills are just not quite there yet. So Definitely number one is with the coaches. Number two, we've worked in some leagues. So for example, we've worked in the NBA G League with the Brooklyn Nets affiliate. So they are partnered with hospital for special surgery. So we get physicians that come in for games and physicians that do consults with the players. If there's ever any issue, they're feeling sick, they need to get some imaging done, things like that. So being able to have those conversations with all different physicians, because it's not always just an ortho or a sports medicine physician, they have dentists, they have the internist, they have, you know, they have the specialists. So whether it's the shoulder or the foot and ankle or knee, so definitely a lot of communication with physicians as well and making sure to not necessarily translate, but try to help everybody on the other side of the medical side of things help them understand, again, setting those realistic expectations, making sure that everybody understands what's happening. And again, like the role that everybody plays in getting that player back to 100%. Of course. And I think you really touched on some key components where it's like you have the role of the PT, but then you also have to communicate with all these other roles in that player's care. And I liked how you pointed out too, like, is that player's 80% better than someone else's 100% than the coaches involved and you're trying to coordinate you know who's playing in what gaming for example and so forth so I think that's it's a it's a lot bigger than I know I realized or probably most people realize so it's definitely a good point to be made what would you say like a day-to-day looks like for you and I'm sure it changes per season for sure but in current days what does a day-to-day look like what kind of patients do you see or what kind of environment are you in well currently because 2020 is great but (laughs) um so just to just to set the scene a little bit march we were coming up towards playoffs in the g league beginning 
that first week of March, I think it was March 10th or 11th was when they found one of the first cases in the NBA. Then they suspended operations. The rest of the G League season completely got canceled. So once that happened, we were kind of like, okay, well, we have a couple of these other sports that might still be able to continue playing. And so at that point, we were starting our seasons with the men's professional ultimate Frisbee team, which is the New York Empire, and then the women's professional ultimate Frisbee team, which is New York Gridlock. And then their seasons got canceled too. (laughs) And so we were kind of like, all right, well, a lot of our revenue, especially during the summer, does come from team contracts. And so then with gyms shutting down and everything, we had to think of a way to, to still serve our people. So we pivoted virtually. One of the teams kept us on to continue doing performance training. The season was so up in the air, they had no idea what was going to happen. So we would do team training through Zoom with all the athletes in their homes. And what was kind of funny, the athletes were spread out from New York City to New Jersey to around Philadelphia and then up in Connecticut, Massachusetts. So we had people who were in tiny New York City apartments who had to grab whatever they could in their apartment to try to increase some kind of load. And then we had people who were like down in South Jersey, Philly area who had full on garage gyms. (laughs) So trying to adapt workouts to everybody and try to, again, just maintain strength and fitness as much as possible in the event that the season was able to continue. So to put it briefly, we pivoted basically 100% virtual. And we're still, I would say like 90 to 95% virtual now, only because of capacity restrictions in gyms and things of that nature. So luckily, the chatter that we've been hearing is that some team sports are starting to practice, they're starting to prepare for a 2021 season. So there are Definitely some things we're working through around that, like doing preseason training for people that may want to try out for some of these teams or or offering services a la carte for people that just want to start getting back into the swing of things. But then aside from that, day to day, we're working, I would say, not necessarily full days, probably like half days doing virtual consults with people. As far as our one-on-one services go, they're also a little bit different because we run them as like a monthly subscription, basically. So with every month, you get X amount of visits. They don't have to be used just for PT. So within the month, you get your programming, whether it's rehab programming or performance programming. And then we also offer coaching around getting better sleep and nutrition and stress management which everybody needs a lot of stress management these days. Mm -hmm. So we've been focusing a lot on that. But sometimes when our clients come on, we call them catch-up calls. But when they come on, they're like, I just want to come on, do some form checks, make sure I'm doing the things that I should be doing. We'll maybe go through some food logs or some food journal stuff and give some tips to try to add in certain things or suggests better choices for certain things. And especially during this time, the holidays, everyone is concerned about about the Mm -hmm. holidays. So trying to navigate that as well. And that's always, I think even without a pandemic, it's always an adventure navigating the holidays. So of course, I want to backtrack for a second, because (laughs) I'm positive, I cannot be the only one thinking this, especially if people are listening in right now. What kind of injury or what do you work on with someone who plays ultimate frisbee so ultimate frisbee when we try to explain 
like sports to compare it to. <laughs> it's kind of a cross between like energy systems wise. It's like the athletes need the engine of like a midfielder in soccer, but they need the agility and speed of a wide receiver. And then <laughs> I'm so intrigued. And then because it's mostly non-contact, there's obviously incidental contact, but like defensive play is much like basketball. Yes, basketball, there's a bit more contact, but you're not necessarily like taking on charges or anything, right, right. but you ha you're doing a lot of blocking. So as far as injuries, a lot of ankles, a lot of hamstring strains, because there's a lot of sprinting and deceleration and changing directions. So I would say most often it's probably hamstrings and ankle sprains. And then there's also generalized low back pain. It's a pretty high volume because of the way that they practice. It's typically, since the players are everywhere, they're not all concentrated in New York City. There's, uh, the practices are typically long. They're sometimes two to three hours long, sometimes longer, depending on your team. And then games, so the professional league and then what's called the club league. So if you think of something like um, USA basketball or USA swimming, like you have all your clubs that are part of this mm -hmm. overarching organization. So there's USA Ultimate. Um, there's lots of clubs within USA Ultimate and players, if they play on a pro team, they most likely also play for a club team. And on top of that, those seasons overlap. So then towards the middle of the pro season, we're like, all right, trying to account for different volumes from practicing with different teams. And then in the club's leagues, they're usually tournaments. So it's a two-day tournament. You're playing maybe three to five games each day depending on the design of the tournament. So yeah, we're definitely talking high volume type of injuries. So muscle strains, ankle sprains, knee injuries, like patellar tendonitis, things like that. So who knew ultimate frisbee could be so intense? I'm so intrigued. I feel like after this, I need to YouTube and like watch some games because it's not what I was picturing at all. And I don't know <laughs> if that's like me being naive, but like, I don't know. I feel like we need to look this up. <laughs> yeah, highly recommend. So the two different leagues, the pro leagues uh, here in the US at least. Um, so the men's is the American Ultimate Disc League. And then women's is the Premier Ultimate League. So if you just YouTube either of those leagues, you'll see some good highlight reels. So cannot wait. That's amazing. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about so you have your SDS and I know students sometimes get so caught up in certifications and the letters added to names. When did you get yours or why did you get yours and how has it impacted your practice? As I was approaching uh, graduating from PT school, I was trying to come up with my five-year plan. Thankfully, my business partner, who's also a life partner, uh, we, we kind of had the same goals. So within our five-year plan, we both knew we were either going to be managing, have a management role in a practice or own our own practice and then have some kind of specialization, whether it was ortho or sports. And so I think the biggest question I get when it comes to specialization is, should I do ortho or should I do sports? I would say sports is meant to prepare you more for working in like a team environment. So um, in order to get the sports specialization, you need to have extra education in acute athlete management. So on field, like how to deal with things that injuries that happen on the field and then um, also have a specific amount of actual venue coverage hours where you are on site 
working uh, either for a game or a tournament or practices or something like that. And so as far as actual education for both, ortho will definitely school you more on the clinical practice guidelines and, um, and like mobilization. I would say more specific things that you would find in general orthopedics, whereas sports, they really harp on that return to sport phase, what that means, how you should be preparing athletes, especially. And then the other side of it, and it's almost like, it's almost like athletic training light, I, I call it, <laughs> but they do a big overview of environmental considerations, like heat related illnesses. The topics are leaving my brain right now, but again, really focusing on right. an athletic event as opposed to just treating athletes in the clinic. I do think the sports specialization helps when you do have an athlete as opposed to somebody who's general population who might not necessarily be trying to get back to fitness or, or an actual sport. But yeah, the difference is there. I think it just prepares you a bit better for those types of things that you're going to see. And then the expectations that you'll probably be fielding from those athletes, because as we know, there's the athletic mindset might be slightly different from someone who's just trying to get back to doing activities of daily living. Yeah, that's great points to be made. Uh, how do you stay on top of, I would say, current research or EBP, especially working with such a high level population? I know it's, we don't unfortunately learn much about that kind of activity level in school. Um, so where do you get the bulk of your research from or so you know like current treatment styles? Honestly, and I'm not super active on Twitter, but I do try to follow a lot of researchers who are involved in sport on Twitter. Tim Gabbitt is a big one who comes to mind. Um, Amy Arundel is, is a really great person to know as well. Claire Ardern, who I think she's the BJSM editor, potentially. I might be getting that totally wrong, so I might have to ask you to cut that. But, <laughs> but definitely like JOSPT, being part of the sports section, and this is like, I'm not a representative of the sports section or American Academy of Sports PT, I guess it is now. Not a representative of them at all, but I'm a member and they have been doing a really great job of trying to dispel the most current research, getting everybody involved in discussions surrounding all the things in sports PT right now. So I definitely lean a lot on colleagues who have better access to research than I do. So whether it's people who are in institutions that have access to some of that research, or I guess organizations like Clinical Athlete is also really great about not necessarily return to sport, but like rehab for performance. Jared Boyd is a great resource as well. Uh, Nicole Sertica is awesome as well. I kind of see trends from that tier of really awesome clinicians mm -hmm. and then try to get my hands on some of that research that I see them presenting about. I do recommend as well, if you do join American Academy of Sports PT, is looking at the International Federation of Sports PT as well, because they do an annual conference, or I guess we'll, we'll just nix COVID out of that, but they do, they usually do an annual conference that I attended last year, which was really awesome, just seeing all the different research that's coming out um, and different studies that we can expect to see in the coming years. So definitely leaning on my colleagues and then trying to search through Twitter and see what's trending there. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, social media has become, I feel like, I've been saying this to everybody. I mean, even I feel like when I started as a PT student, it was slowly starting in the PT field, like social media in general. And even now I feel like there's so many greats out there that are consistently putting out like very valid, very just the facts of things that we need to know to be like top tier clinicians. And I think it's a great, great access to students or new grads or whoever, just to like really kind of check yourself and make sure that you're practicing at the top of your license, so to speak. Yeah. You know, some people might listen to this and be like, oh, well, she's just getting her sources from people that are already in her bubble slash echo chamber. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> but to be perfectly honest, it's not that I'm not the one to go and seek out research, but that task in itself becomes very overwhelming for me. So yeah, if I, I can find resources that I trust and, you know, like, of course, everyone can have their own take on any article or something right. like that. But if I can go in and read it myself and form my own conclusions about what's been presented, then I think that's just as valuable as trying to do a, you know, 2000 article search on my own and trying <laughs> to pick everything out. <laughs> oh, for sure. Now, I know you're present on social media and I'm not sure how long you've had your account, but where have you started it? Where has it progressed to? Where do you plan on taking it? I know you have something that you're launching soon as well. So if you want to touch on that, go ahead. Sure. I'm trying to think when I actually did start my professional like PT account. I can't even remember at this point, but it mostly just started as a way for me to share my thoughts. And um, I think it's still as far as evolution for that, it has certainly evolved into a brand that I try to keep in line with my actual practices brand. And that's very much in a no nonsense, no bullshit approach to PT. We don't necessarily have to dangle all these shiny things in front of our potential clients. We believe in keeping things very simple because simple does not mean easy, but it can mean extremely effective. And so that's, um, that's an idea that I try to put through in a lot of my posts that are more physical therapy or fitness specific. Um, at this point, what it has also kind of turned to is a way for me to share any affiliations that I have. So currently I'm affiliated with a couple fitness specific brands. So one of them being Lululemon, the other one being a skincare brand called Frey that's more their formulation is targeted towards people who sweat. So a lot of people in sports and fitness tend to sweat a lot. So trying to share a skincare routine that helps battle the issues that come with sweating a lot, having really salty skin, always being sweaty and not being able to necessarily, you know, jump in a shower right away. So th things like that. And then kind of moving forward, as you mentioned, I am working on launching a blog either right at the end of this year or beginning of next year that's targeted more towards women and girls in sports and trying to serve as a resource for performance for young female athletes and, um, and also just being a woman in the sports performance space because it's typically a male-dominated space. And so those are kind of the things I'm working on right now as far as how my social media has kind of evolved. I'll be honest, it's like just a whole mishmash of things that as ideas come to me, I try to make a post about it. 
it's kind of funny. I'm sure a lot of your listeners also follow Shantae Colefield or the Movement Maestro. I think she made a reel recently about how all of her best ideas come to her at like the most random time. So while taking a shower or, you know, sitting on the toilet, like doing really random things like that. So that's kind of what happens to me as well. I try to make something out of those ideas as soon as I get them. And so I think if you kind of scroll through my feed, I try to curate it kind of, sort of, but it's also just a mishmash of thoughts in my head. (laughs) I support it because I'm the same way and like I even like considered one time I know they have because people used to like study in the shower they have like those like a not a whiteboard but whiteboard kind of thing where you can like write on something for the shower and I've low-key considered getting one of those so many times because I'm like I'll think of something and then when I get out of the shower I'm like damn it I forgot it already right right yeah totally totally agree with that on a lighter note what are some fun things that you have done in quarantine outside of the PT realm? I've actually explored my neighborhood a lot. So I live in Astoria, Queens, and it's very neighborhoody, which I love about it because it's almost like small town. You see people around the street, you wave at them, like people know who you are. And then my partner and I have a dog who loves to get a lot of exercise. So we take him on runs. I've done a lot of running kind of just down by the water, going from Astoria to Long Island City, onto Roosevelt Island, and then back. So just general exploration of the city has been really fun. We've gone on a couple hikes up near Breakneck Ridge and everything that's up there. I've been reading a lot of books. (laughs) And somebody asked me this question, like, what was the last book you read? And I was trying to think of all the books I've read. And I'm like, oh, wow, I've been doing a lot of, like, self-help, self-exploration, trying to build better habits type of stuff. So... Um, so I guess that's kind of where my brain is at right now and trying yeah. to make some changes in the quarantine life and trying to develop some of these better habits that will keep me grounded, especially, but also try to move forward coming out of this. And I was just talking with someone actually, so I have a guitar. I took guitar lessons in college. And so I have this guitar that's been sitting in my apartment collecting dust. So I think I might actually pull that out and start nice. around again but yeah. That's so fun. That's good. Getting out, exploring, getting off of Zoom, away from the books and everything else, which is great. Any final tips for students that you have that either they want to go into sports or just PT in general? I would say I hate the word networking. I, I guess I prefer the phrase relationship building, but the try to find the people who are doing what you think you might want to do and try to talk to them and develop a relationship with them. I think it was it was Emma Stokes at the Third World Congress of Sports Physical Therapy last year who said that when you're networking, you should find someone above you, find someone below you, and find someone to the side of you. So meaning someone who's further ahead in their career, who is where you might want to be in the next three to five years maybe. And then someone beside you who's kind of at the same point in their career as you are. And then someone, well, I guess below is not the best word, but someone who's a little bit behind you in their careers. I think for me, actually, talking to students and newer PTs has helped me a lot because it kind of checks me as to where am I keeping up with the current research and the current interventions that are coming out there? Or am I, am I staying the same and 
just doing what I know because it's how I've been doing it for X number of years. So yeah, Emma Stokes was the one who proposed that idea when you're looking to network with people. And I think it's a really great approach to just get out there and see what might be out there for you. And then also I would say for like students, especially, or like newer PTs coming out, you can always change course. And I know that seems scary. And I guess most people come into this profession expecting a pretty linear career path. And this is what I think I'm going to be doing for the next, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years. But we've all experienced during this time that sometimes your plans might have to change and that's totally okay. And this year especially has been one of those kinds of years for me. (laughs) I like it. Great, great advice. Um, Okay, where can people find you if they have any questions, want to slide into your DMs? How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, so Instagram is probably best. My handle is Rena Eliazar PT. So R-E-N-A-E-L-E-A-Z-A-R-P-T. I try to answer everybody back through my DMs. And then if you want to shoot me an email, uh, I only check it once a day though because of productivity things. (laughs) Love uh, it. It's Rena, R-E-N-A at matchfitperformance.com. Perfect. Thank you, Rena, for coming on today. It was so great to chat with you and you guys know where to find her if you have any questions. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe to stay updated on new episodes. You can find more episodes like these on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And to stay up to date, follow dpt.steph on Instagram or go to www.dptsteph.com. 